Would you stand with me, friends? As we read the Lord's Word this morning, again, we are in Matthew chapter 8, and we read last week verses 14 through 27. This morning, I'd like to read to us again verses 14 through 27, looking specifically at verses 23 through 27. Again, listen to the Lord's Word. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus said to him. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, And it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the Lord's word. Please be seated, friends. Lord, we do thank you for your word and pray that you would bless the servant and bless these, your people giving us uh, both words to say that are appropriate and faithful to this text, that are applicable to your people. But also, Father, I pray that you will bless your people, that you will give them ears to hear. We pray that we would become less American in our thinking, and that we would be more Christian in our thinking. Bless your word now, and we pray for your spirit's presence. And I do humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shouldn't doing what is right be an easy thing? Marriage is a good thing. Shouldn't it be easy? Raising a family. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Why are they so difficult? What about the people you're related to who are sick? Shouldn't it be easier to love those who are sick? How about paying bills? I work hard. I do all these things. I earn this money. Shouldn't it go further? Shouldn't I be able to pay all my bills? What about being honest or being a good friend or keeping vows? You would think all of these things, which are all very good things. Shouldn't they be easier? What about being a follower of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't the Lord have more followers if he just made it easier? Last week, we had mentioned Demas in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 4, who we were told loved this world and deserted Paul. Presumably, 
He deserted the Lord as well because he loved this world. Following Christ was not an easy matter. Though it was the right thing to do, Demas said, I'm done with this. The Lord said to the Apostle Paul, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Let me read that again. The Lord said this of the Apostle Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul said to the disciples of Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, he said this, in order to strengthen their souls, he said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We tend to think as Americans that if I'm doing what is right, if I'm being obedient, if I'm following the Lord, then things should go well for me. It should be smooth sailing. That's what we signed up for, after all, when we decided to follow Jesus Christ, isn't it? You probably heard some, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you heard this. This is what the charlatans say. Follow Jesus, he'll heal your bodies. Follow Jesus, he'll make you rich. Follow Jesus, he'll make your children obedient. Follow Jesus, he's the granddaddy, he's the sugar daddy who resides in the heavens to give us everything your little heart desires. That's the way we think of Christianity. That's the way we think of following Jesus. If I'm following him, things should be smooth. Things should go well. And when it isn't easy, what do we do? We say, ooh, I, 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 I didn't expect this. I signed up to follow Jesus because I thought it was going to be a good and easy thing, not a difficult thing. And so we stumble, we fall into disbelief. God is somehow small now. He's not in charge of my life. He can't help me in this place. And we fall prey to worry. And we have those thoughts go through our minds. I didn't bargain for this kind of thing. I didn't know following Jesus would be such a difficult road to travel, that it would require me to make tough decisions and to do difficult things choosing the right things over the popular or the expedient things. I didn't know that it was going to cause me to have to put God before everyone else. I didn't know that following Jesus was the same as saying, I'm going to have to die to my flesh and my fleshly desires. You see, in in the United States, what have we done with this gospel? We have made following Jesus synonymous with indulging your lusts. That's not Christianity, friends. That's not Christianity. When you follow Jesus Christ, you take up your cross and you follow him. A cross is what they put criminals on to die upon. What part of dying to your flesh do you not understand? It is a difficult thing. It is a difficult thing to follow Jesus Christ. It is absolutely free. The gospel of grace is free. And it will cost you everything. Does that make sense?
following Jesus is hard. It is just what he said it was going to be. Knowing this doesn't keep the hardships away, but it does give us cause to hope because we know that the Lord is also with us in the midst of the difficulties that he calls us into. So on the one hand, we want an easy Christianity. I want to follow Jesus. I just don't want to have to obey him because that's really painful. But to follow him also means I have to die to myself, and that's a really difficult place to be. And yes, it is. But we're told that when the Lord calls us into difficult places, he will be with us in the difficulties. In other words, let me say it like this. If you don't want difficulties, don't climb into the boat with Jesus. If you want security, climb into the boat with Jesus. That's what we see in front of us here. Notice what happens in verse 18 and 23. We're backing up just a little. I'm reading for us verse 18. He says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. The crowd is following him because Jesus has done all sorts of miracles. Who doesn't love a miracle worker? We heard that this morning, right? Why are these mega churches so big? Because they're up there promising people, say this prayer after me. I've got a platform. Now I can walk around. Look at this. <laughs> say this prayer with me. Let's pray. Uh, you know, let's give God glory for these offerings and you pray it with me and God will magnify you and he'll make you rich. And oh, who doesn't want more money? And so they draw them. So these people have come to Jesus because he, he, he's doing all of these miracles. So Jesus says he, he gives orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Verse 23 then, after he's dealt with the scribe and this other man who's following from this broader group, he says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Jesus gave orders. He then gets into the boat. His disciples follow him. And they did exactly what Jesus commanded. He did what was, they did what was right. The disciples followed and the Lord gives the command, get in, let's go. And what do these, these 12 disciples do? They obey. They obey. Friends, this is Christianity 101. When the Lord gives a command to you, you do it. And when the Lord forbids his people to do something, we don't do it. Again, the American mindset of which we're all Americans and we're all have this going on in our heads is I want Jesus. I just want to do what I want to do, too. And he says, duh, that's not what you're supposed to do. I'm the savior. I'm the master. When I tell you, right, master means master. When I tell you what to do, you do it. When I tell you not to do something, you don't do it. Romans 6.22 says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. By faith, my friends, as we've looked to Jesus Christ, you belong to him now. And you are to follow him wherever he calls you. And let me remind you, he seldom calls us to the Ritz-Carlton. Jesus calls us into very difficult things. Jesus puts us in places that are difficult. I have no problem saying that. 
Because in Isaiah 45, verse 7, he says, I am the one who creates light, and I'm also the one who creates darkness. There is no other. You do not serve a safe God. You serve a sovereign God who is good. He puts us in some very difficult places. We look to him and we follow him wherever he calls us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you are not going to follow him in what he calls you to, you cannot be his disciple. Luke 6.46 Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Those are scary words. They're scary words. Our job, our calling, friends, daily is to follow Jesus Christ, to obey his voice in our homes, on the job, and in the marketplace with our wives, our children, and all of our neighbors to glorify and enjoy him is our sole purpose in life. And you cannot do that while we walk in disobedience. So notice the disciples obey the Lord. They don't put stipulations on the Lord as the, as the scribe did that we talked about last week. I will follow you. I will obey you in what is good um, and what is easy and what is comfortable to do. I will enjoy the limelight when you call me there, Lord. I will enjoy becoming a conference speaker, Lord, where all can adore and enjoy me. Is that what a pastor does? Is that what an elder does? No. We're fishermen. We're under shepherds. Our our boots are not Armani. They're muck. That's what the Lord calls us to. But the scribe, he wanted it good. A true disciple, friends, doesn't limit whenever to to every four-star hotel in Palestine. As the Lord pointed out, vermin have it better in this world than the Son of Man. Jesus Christ came into this world to be poor so that you might become rich in him. Those who follow Jesus must and will follow him into the briar patch, into hardships, and into sufferings. We also don't put upon him a whenever. I'll follow you at some point, Jesus, when it works for me, when it works with my schedule. We touched on this last week as well. Here, this one disciple wanted Jesus to give his blessing so that he could go and first bury his father. And what was Jesus' response to him? Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So you know, the Lord is not anti-funerals or anti-honoring your parents. This man's father was not dead yet, but getting up in years, or he had already long been dead a year and had to finish up dealing with the bones. Jesus' point in all of this is, friends, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, follow Jesus Christ. Do not make him play second fiddle in your little orchestra. You follow Jesus. This is what he calls us to. Listen to Matthew 10. These verses scare me. Verses 10, 34 through 39. 
Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Jesus demands complete allegiance that your heart be given to him and to him first above all others. We let the dead focus upon the dead. The disciples of the Lord are concerned for the life of those around them. Discipleship is exacting. We don't wait for the perfect time to follow Jesus. We follow him now, and we follow him above all else. I would love to think that following would be an easy thing, a bed of roses with no thorns, and then then following Jesus would be so much easier. And notice here that as he calls his disciples, and he's talking in this context of discipleship, he calls them directly into hardship. Notice this. He has just said in verse 18, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Jesus gives the orders. Verse 23, When he got into the boat, so Jesus is leading them into the boat, his disciples followed him. And then we read in 24 through 26, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Jesus has called them into hardship. Think about it for a second. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you say. You made a prayer asking Christ to come into your heart. Or you walked an aisle in some church. You met the pastor. He wrote the date. But I didn't want this kind of hardship. I did it in 1979 when it was popular to be an evangelical. I didn't mean it, for crying out loud, or I didn't think it meant this, following Jesus. They experienced firsthand the lesson that Jesus had just given to the scribe concerning hardship. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me into the briar patch, and they climb right behind Jesus into the briar patch. Think about this. Now we're told here by Matthew, Behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. It's a surprise. Behold, Matthew writes, Jesus has just led his disciples into a pickle, into a very difficult trial. A violent storm has kicked up on the Sea of Galilee. The sea itself is about 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. It lies 680 feet below sea level, that of the Mediterranean, and it is surrounded by hills. Mount Hermon to the north is over 9,000 feet high. The cool air drops, comes off the mountain, drops down narrow channels to the sea, and meets with the warm air from the, the water, and a quick violent storm erupts on the sea while these experienced fishermen keep that in mind too these aren't landlubbers these are seamen 
who who get into the boat who are experienced with the sea and they are scared. We're told it's a great storm. There is a great shaking, a great commotion. And this little boat in this violent storm is covered with, with waves. And where's Jesus in all of this hardship that he's just called them into? He calls to you, Christian, and says, follow me. And you follow him. And then it seems like your life just starts to fall apart. How does this work? Jesus is asleep. Fully God, yet fully man, he needed sleep. And these fishermen are panicked. They are scared to death. And Jesus is asleep. Here they are, having done what Jesus had ordered. And they are literally fearing for their lives. They go to Jesus and awaken him from his sleep. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. We're dying. We are going to die here. If you've never been caught out on open waters during a storm, it is quite an experience. As a 10th grader, I went fishing up off of Georgian Bay, which is a bay off of Lake Huron. I was in Canada and roughly five or six miles off the coast, and I was in a little inboard boat, and a storm kicked up, and the waves were over the top of the boat. I was scared to death. I have never prayed so intensely as I was at that moment, and I didn't know what we were going to do. I kept crying out, Lord, save us. Me and all the other brothers in the boat with me were crying out. Didn't know how we were going to get back to where we needed to get. We obviously made it, but um, if you ask me, I prefer land to being out on the ocean. I can tread water for about as long as as a barbell. You have this sense of, 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 of doom. You're overwhelmed. You're out of control. You feel as though you're going to die. And you overreact, perhaps, or not. Again, these are experienced fishermen. You've heard people say, the Lord will never give you more than you can take. Really? Don't believe that. That's not what 1 Corinthians 10.13 is talking about. The Lord will make you sweat. Again, these were experienced fishermen in a place where they had great experience and they're scared out of their minds. Did the Lord ever uh, call you into something like that? You're following Jesus. He puts you in a predicament and now you're like, I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm about ready to come out of my mind. I am so filled with anxiety, anxiousness, and worry. I don't know what in the world I'm supposed to do. And by the way, where are you? You call me into this boat, and then you go and sleep? Is he sleeping? Has he forgotten you? And what are you doing with the trial that you're confronted with? Their trial was an actual, I'm in a boat and I'm, I'm about ready to die. I feel like I'm coming unglued. What is the trial that you're confronting? What is the thing that, that the Lord, because you followed him, now you've incurred some wrath from people, from family members? You've been shunned? You get belittled? You're used to having your name spoken of well and now all of a sudden you're not being spoken of well? You have the fear of a government that's becoming daily more anti-Christian, anti-church. 
Lord, I, I signed up when it was supposed to be good and nothing's happening good now. Where are you in all of this? You see this? This is what the Lord does. He takes us. He's the sovereign. He's the one who creates the storm. He's the one who says, get in the boat. He's the one who calls us. We follow him, and you followed him right into a thick problem. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Do you know what you signed up for? Or were you, were you just wanting it to be an easy cakewalk? He brings us in these trials. He, we're told this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He is the one who leads his people. He is the one who brings the trials upon them on purpose. He brings the trials into our lives. Deuteronomy 8 talks about the trials that Israel faced. And then he brought them into these trials so that he might test them to see what was in their hearts. What do you think? What do you say? What do you do in the midst of a trial? Do you freak out and say, oh, God doesn't love me. God's, God's nowhere to be found. He doesn't care. I quit. Is that what you do? What kind of faith is this? He brings us these trials to grow us in our faith for the next trial that he brings to us. This trial they faced brought them to a sense of their own inadequacy, their own inabilities, their own helplessness, and their own finiteness. Have you experienced these things in your marriages, in your, your relationships, with your children, your health, the fears of living, cost of living? When you cry out, I don't know if I can take it anymore, I'm going to die. It can't possibly get worse, and then it does. Feeling overwhelmed and out of control. Lord, where are you? I think you might be sleeping, and I'm all alone in this boat, not knowing what to do. Listen to Jesus' response. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? I think there's a whole lot here that could be unpacked. They were afraid because they believed they were going to die. This trial was a major trial. Jesus questions them not because the waves weren't real or the boat wasn't shaking violently. And so we ought to be very careful about ever minimalizing uh, someone's trials. You understand trials are going to be unique to each of you. Something that may you may consider a trial, I don't necessarily consider a trial. The trial I have, you may go, what's that? You understand, but the trials, the Lord knows the trials he brings upon us. We don't minimize them. He questions them because of what they believe about him, about Jesus. This is where the, the passage just becomes beautiful to me. Because we all live in this fallen world and we live with circumstances, be it health, finance, interpersonal junk. We got all of this stuff that's going on. And we're all at different places and we're all at our different levels of freakishness. And my question is, not if it's real or not, but what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Who do you think Jesus is? Why is Jesus sleeping in a boat? 
Why is the Son of God, God of God, very God of very God, why is he sleeping in the boat? Apparently, Jesus isn't worried, is he? Just like Peter, after he's matured some in Acts chapter 12, is sleeping between prison guards while he's about ready to get killed. He's not worried. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Do you believe he's he's with you in the midst of the trial? Do you believe that he has brought the trial that you're experiencing into your life? Do you believe that he is abandoning you in the midst of that trial, O Christian? Do you believe that? This is, this is fundamental. This is, this is key. What do you believe about Jesus? Why are you afraid? What do you think I'm going to do to you or not do for you that you need? I want to ask you that again. And you put yourself in your own trial. Why are you afraid? What do you think that Jesus is going to do to you in the midst of this trial that you're facing? And what do you think he's not going to do for you that you need in the midst of this trial? They had faith, faith enough to climb into a boat with him, to follow him about. They heard his words, saw his miracles, and though he is mighty, the trial seemed even too big in their minds for someone like Jesus. It was going to finish them all. They were right to come to Jesus to ask him for help. They were not right to be full of fear and to panic or to be freaking out about it. To think ultimately, he has brought us into this hardship but does not care. Ultimately, Jesus does not mean us good. That's what happens when these trials come and we freak out. We say to ourselves, Jesus does not mean us any good. I am not willing to undergo following Jesus Christ to be his disciple if he's going to make hardship in my life. Friends, is this what you follow Jesus for, to have ease? Or will you follow him into the storm? This is a test for Christianity. This is a a question. What do you do in the midst of your trials? Do you turn to Jesus Christ and continue to follow him? Or do you jump out of the boat and swim back to shore and say, I've had enough of that. I want no more of it. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. That's what the church should be. But when the trials come, what does the church do so often? We run away. I didn't sign up for this kind of thing. A robust Christianity is a Christianity that's eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ and we know that he's with us in the storm. In fact, that he sends the storm and he is with me in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hardships. That's, that's a robust Christianity. Everything else is lip service. Peter says, where else, Lord, would we go? Who else has the words of life but you? Do you believe that the Lord means you good in the midst of where he's called you? This is where we get as disciples sometimes, isn't it? We have followed Jesus. We have hardships come upon us for doing what is right. And we feel as though he has abandoned us and is sleeping. We grow cold 
and cynical and even turn back altogether. Listen here to the saints uh, concerning the saints in Hebrews chapter 10. Wonderful passage. Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 39. I am almost done, by the way. But remembering the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Early saints, suffering conflict. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Notice that Jesus has shown and has seen what is in their hearts. Their view of him is still not what it should be. It is way too small. We could say it like this. Their faith was small because their God was still small. He is much, much bigger, friends, than you and I think. And I can say this, that he loves you a whole lot more than you even know. Jesus is the one who will see you through the trial. Then Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He now shows them why they had no reason to be afraid, because he is for them in the midst of the trial. We see uh, that if the Lord be for us, there is nobody who can be against us, who can stand against us. Now, why, why, why bring this up? Why, why bother talking about these things? Again, because we claim to be followers of Christ, but then when things get difficult, we say, I don't want to follow Jesus in this kind of circumstance. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, this is exactly the kind of thing I call you into. Friends, we all want the good life, right? Who doesn't want the good life? I want the good life. But I have to remind you of something. This isn't it. Heaven is coming. This is not it. In theology, we make the distinction between the church militant and the church glorified. My daughter Alyssa is quite a a nice little artist. And I have thought long and hard about having her paint something for me. You know, that 1950s kind of the handsome guy and the pretty woman holding a cup of coffee and they're all dressed very nice. And I thought, that's the way we we think of Christianity. I've got my cup of coffee, and everyone looks nice and pleasant. And I thought, I would like to have her paint a picture for me that shows a a handsome man and a handsome woman drinking a cup of coffee in a foxhole wearing camouflage. (laughs) Because that's where we are. We're the church militant. This is not home. 
We're not supposed to have it easy now. We are combating sin. We are in enemy territory. We are called to follow our Savior. We are called to die to ourselves, lose your interests, and love your Savior to the extent of losing your own life. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That's it. Instead, we want to relax, sit in the hot tub with our soulmate, and just let the days and hours pass by while hell burns and people are going to hell. You learn anything from this. He calls you into the storm, he's with you in the storm, and you're not to be afraid and be faithless because your God is so much bigger than you have ever thought. These men were amazed at what Jesus said. He speaks and everything stops. And their question, what kind of man is this? He's no ordinary man. He's the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus rebuked them and they stopped. And he did it just by his word. Just by his word. He controls the wind and the sea. We started off our service by reading this today. Very purposefully, I might add. From one, Psalm 107. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters... They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunk man, like drunken men, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Listen, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Now listen, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. What kind of man is this? He's God. And that's why they praise God. That's why the psalmist says, praise God. Jesus Christ is God. This is the God who is sovereign. This is the God who has saved you. This is the God who says, follow me, which means obey the things that I tell you and don't turn back. Don't turn back. He's not going to abandon you in the midst of the trial. He calls you to obey in the midst of the trial. It is difficult. And he is with you. You call out to him. He's sovereign. He controls all of these things going on around us. But not only is he sovereign, he's good and he's kind. And he demonstrates it by the fact that he has given his son on Calvary's cross in order to redeem us from our sins. Will you be a follower of Jesus Christ? 
into the hardship? Will you trust him and obey him? Or will you be a mere consumer and will you be left on the shores away from Jesus? I'd encourage you, put your faith upon Jesus Christ. It'll be hard and it'll be the best thing you ever did. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this passage of scripture and we thank you for your kindness to us. I pray that you would help us to trust you, Lord, in the midst of the trials into which you call us. We pray that you would hold us close to yourself and help us, Lord, not to be shaken, especially as we see days coming upon us. We pray, Lord, that the the things that we go through now, that you would prepare us for bigger things that are to come. We ask, Lord, that we would rejoice in you and trust you and serve you with all that's within us. I pray that as we partake of this supper now, we ask, Lord, that your grace be upon us, that we would come to cherish you more, and that seeing your great sovereignty and your great love, we might grow in our faith and our willingness to obey. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.